You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, pardon the interruption, but just a quick message from me to let you know about the leadership survey we have just placed on the website. Here at The Great Coaches, we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, but we have gone back to the transcripts of the more than 200 great coaches we've interviewed to identify their key leadership traits. We've then created a survey of 20 questions to help you compare your leadership style to theirs. It's free, only takes a few minutes to complete, and should help you find areas of relative strength and weakness. If you'd like to know more, check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of a lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. Hello and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, and so we interview great sports coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our families, our colleagues, and our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is Ben Davison. Ben is a British boxing coach. At just 29 years of age, he is an outlier in the world of boxing coaches who often toil away for decades before experiencing the type of success Ben has enjoyed. In 2017, he joined up with Tyson Fury and helped him return to the ring and set out on the journey that would ultimately see him claim the WBC Heavyweight Championship. Ben has gone on to work with other world champions, including Billy Joe Saunders, Josh Taylor, Devin Haney, and Lee Wood. Combat coaches are my favourite to interview, and some of the highlights from our discussion include how his ability to view each fight as if it is a blank canvas more than makes up for his lack of experience as an actual boxer, how he tries to look beyond the movement of the fighters to understand their decision making, how he drives himself to match the commitment that drives the physical, emotional, and mental preparation of his fighters and the importance of managing your ego in the ring so that you don't take unnecessary risk. 
And just before we go to the interview, if you enjoy listening to the podcast and would like to learn more, you can head over to our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. There you will find video and podcast content taken from the 150 plus interviews we have done with some of the world's great coaches. You will also find our insight database where we've snipped out insights from the videos of our interviews on leadership topics like culture, communication and conflict. You can search through by keyword sport or coach, download and share them. We'll be adding to it regularly as we interview more great coaches from around the world. We also have a newsletter that features information on the latest podcasts, leadership insights from our guests, recommendations they have on books, articles or other media, as well as information on how you can engage with the other people who listen to the podcast in our live events. And now, please enjoy our interview with Ben Davison. You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Ben Davison, good morning and welcome to The Great Coaches Podcast. Good morning to yourself too. Great to chat with you. I have been a big fan of yours. I've been trying to get you for over a year, so I'm pretty excited about today's conversation. Ben, something really simple to get us going. Where are you in the world and what have you been doing so far? I'm in my gym, which is in Essex, um, and just day in, day out, same thing, working away with, with the boxers and the fighters that I work with, um, who will be in soon and um, just helping them achieve their goals. Well, we're going to talk all about those goals because they've achieved some pretty lofty ones already as we go along. But I wanted to just wind the clock back a bit, actually, and just start at the start, which is talking about your dad um, in the gym, but also maybe, firstly, just some of the other great coaches you've seen up close. I know you've worked with Freddie Roach, one of the greatest going around at the minute, but you've also seen some other ones up close and personal. And I just wondered, Ben, from your experience, what do you think the great ones do differently that sets them apart? I think everybody's got a unique approach, ideology, philosophy, and these kind of things. But I wouldn't say – I think you have to really spend time with somebody to really get to understand their – their approach, their outlook, uh, and how that would differentiate from yours. A lot of conversations would need to take place. And I think that a big a, a big part of it is the application and dedication. I think that there's a lot of people out there with a lot of potential in every walk of life, but a lot of it is application and how they apply themselves and consistency and things like this. I think that that is probably the difference between your good coaches or your average coaches and your great coaches is that the, the great people, and this is in any walk of life in my opinion really, the greats are able to hit a standard and maintain it and be a lot more consistent than, than the others are. For example... A world champion might spar one day or a great golfer might have a round of golf with somebody one day or a football team might have a match against another football team one day. And on this one day, the opponent may be able to keep up with them for one day. But can they sustain that same level day in, day out, 
week after week, month after month, year after year. That is the difference between in any walk of life. Um, that is the difference between average, good, and great, in my opinion. Ben, your your dad boxed as an amateur, and I've read where you grew up in the gym with him, and he's and in your words, his old boxes of fight tapes. But I'm wondering how this early experience being in the ring from such a young age, being in the gym rather from such a young age, how that's gone on to shape your philosophy as a coach? I wouldn't say that it, it did really. I would say that it grew my love for boxing, you know, putting on tapes of he loved Nigel Benn, he loved Mike Tyson, tapes of Sugar Ray Leonard, I remember that. Um, I would say that the biggest impact on my style of coaching actually come from when I played football um, and a coach that I come across when I was playing football, I would say that, that was the most influential uh, thing on my approach to coaching and my style of coaching. Well, who was this person and what did they do that influenced you so much? So his, his name is Colin Reed. He works in football. Um, what? He just, he simplified things so much that, so what I remember one of the first, it stands out in my mind, one of the first things that he said was, um, you know, there's only one, but you hear all these stories, oh, I could have done this, oh, I could have done that. And he said, you know, there's only one thing that stopped me from playing for England and everybody was like, oh, I didn't realise, you know, he was at that level. He said, I, I wasn't good enough. And the only reason that you guys aren't good enough to be playing at that level right now is the coach's fault. And he took full responsibility. He said, because things are that simple that if you truly understand it and, and the coaches have done their job properly, you'll be able to play at the top level and compete at the top level. Um, and it was true because when he would coach us, he would break it down uh, and it would be so simple I knew exactly what he meant and I could see that. I just took that approach. And also, took, you know, myself as well, I was always desperate to be the best that I could be in anything that I did. So when I did play football, I was probably middle of the road. You know, there was better players out there than me, but I was so desperate to be the best that I could be. I would watch a full football match and watch one player, go back, rewind it, watch the same match again and watch another player. Where is he when the ball's in? This area, what you know, what positioning wise, what what decisions does he make here? What decisions does he make there? So I started to analyze things like that in football before I took that approach to boxing. I guess this theme of watching people and breaking down the game is is very key to your philosophy. I'm going to ask you about that later on, but I want to ask you first about this quote I've got from you, and you say. A big part of it is maximising my potential to be able to maximise their potential. That's my goal. And it, it really caught my eye, uh, Ben, because, you know, I've never met you before today, but it, your desire to improve yourself comes through all the time in these these interviews when people talk to you. My question, though, is what are you doing right now? What's on your personal development list right now to help you improve and realise your potential? Um, every day really it doesn't stop you know I'll, I'll watch 
we've got a big fight coming up, a rematch that one of my guys, he lost his world title and we've actually got the opponent gave him his, his sombrero that he wore to the ring. We've got it up there in the ring, in the gym now, hanging out, just as motivation. Every now and then I look up at that just to remind myself, you know, that we've got a job to do and, and that puts a bit of fire in my belly and, and you know, I'll be back re-watching the first fight. No matter how many times I've watched it, I'll be watching it again because I might spot something that I didn't spot the first time. And boxers have to put themselves through so much. Such a tough sport, mentally, physically, emotionally, preparation in the actual fight, that I almost feel a sense of responsibility to, to do the extra hours, to study that fight one more time. Um, to go through these details, to have conversations with other members of the team, to make sure that we're covering every basis because that extra percentage may be the extra percentage that makes a difference in the fight. It sounds very intense, though. I mean, I, I realise that your athletes can die, right? You've, you've said it. You've said they're putting their life on the line when they go in there and you try to match that energy. But we were just talking before, you know, you're you're a young father, you're trying to bring balance into your life. How do you main as a guy that's running his own gym, he's leading a program, how do you renew yourself and bring energy back into your own life? Yeah, it's not the easiest. I mean, I think that there's a misconception of the lifestyle that it is to be an elite athlete. You know, oh, it's this healthy being an elite athlete is not healthy or by any stretch of the imagination, what you have to put your body through, again, mentally, physically, emotionally, all of these things that you have to put yourself through, the stress, anxiety for a lot of people, these things that you have to put your body through to, to reach the top level and to push human performance to its maximum, that's not healthy, not by any stretch of the imagination. So, yeah, the life that I live probably isn't healthy in a sense that there is a lack of balance. I do my best to try and balance it. But again, it's difficult because we're talking about how I'm trying to do that. I was just talking to you there about a rematch for one guy. That's one fight. There might be 10 other guys in the gym that have got fights. I've got to do that for 10 other guys. And, I, I, you know, it's not, oh, that's a four-rounder, that's only a six-rounder, that's a non-title fight, don't need to put the same energy into that. We try and put the same energy into absolutely every fight that, that we've got coming up because without a victory there, there's, there is no world title in the end. There is no... So, every fight's a world title fight. You know, I've, I'm trying to book a holiday at the moment. I'm on to the promoters, you know, when is this guy fighting? I'll, you know, is it on this date? Because I want to try and book a holiday for exactly that, to be able to recharge the batteries, relax. And I do feel like, I'll, you know, the, I will get more out of myself by having a break, sometimes you do need a break. And I know that I probably do need one. I feel like that. I've said that for a little while. But timing it is very difficult when you've got a number of boxes in the gym. It's a lot easier when you're training one or two guys. For example, I trained Tyson Fury and Billy Joe. They've probably boxed twice a year. So it was a lot easier to manage out, find a bit of time to relax and have some family time, some downtime. The setup that I've got now with my own gym and about you know, seven or eight different boxers, it's difficult to find that. And a lot of them are at, at, at a development stage where they're boxing four or five times a year. So 
it's very difficult to, uh, to to try and find that time. And I find boxing absolutely fascinating. The the way that people push their body to the limit, but also push their mental skills to the limit as well. It's the courage required to step into the ring. But I wanted to ask you, actually, how does the pressure differ when it comes to being the favourite in a, in a fight yeah. versus being the underdog? Yeah, so I think that a lot of fighters struggle with that because, so for example, if you're going into a world title fight and you've never had a world title fight, there's almost uh, the level of expectation isn't the same. Not sure if he can do it, you know. So a lot of fighters I find, when they are the underdog, thrive on that. A, a, a less, almost less pressure. Very similar to how some fighters, when they have the home advantage, they it works against them. Some fighters, when they have the home advantage, it works for them. Some fighters will like to be the favourite. But a lot of fighters that I've worked with, they don't like to be the favourite because it brings added pressure, added expectation. That's the key word there is expectation. Um, and that can bring a different type of pressure. Now, you need pressure. You need pressure to perform. If I was to go and run one mile and you said, run it as fast as you can and I ran it on my own, I can guarantee you that if you put some competition next to me, I would run it quicker. That's just human nature so you do need competition you need pressure to be able to to perform at your best uh, but it's managing that and every individual's different when it comes to that there's another aspect of the boxing which i find fascinating and it's the management of the ego so there are must be moments in a fight when a boxer gets caught off guard and they get hit unexpectedly and I'm really curious, Ben, how do you work with them to ensure that in those moments they don't let their ego take over and take unnecessary risks? Well, that's often – so often you find that that would be a habit from an amateur turning professional because maybe they're boxing three three-minute rounds. So if we was to use the analogy of a marathon and a sprint, an amateur contest is almost a sprint. So if you lose a moment, for so for example, you get hit with a shot and you've lost a moment there, often you'll find amateurs want to win that moment back as quick as they can because it's a short time frame that the fight is taking place for. They don't want that being remembered as a big factor in the round, so they'll quickly try to get that back. Very different in the professional ranks. Um, it's a longer contest. Often the IQ is a lot higher in the professional ring, and a good, an intelligent fighter that knows that every time I land something, they are instantly trying to get that back. They will land something and set the trap for you to try and get that moment back and bring you onto a shot. Now the gloves are different from amateur to professional, so you don't want to be taking risks and getting hit with certain shots that you might get hit with in amateur gloves that are going to have a lot more of a different effect in professional gloves. So. That is actually something that you have to learn very early on. Otherwise, you can end up taking risks you don't need to take. And even, as I was saying with the gloves, you know, with the small gloves, it doesn't take much to have a, a, an impact, impactful effect. Um, so you don't want to be taking silly risks like that. 
and letting your ego take over. And Ben, when you're training them, do you talk a lot about ego? Does it, does it, is it something that you actively talk about with your fighters and managing it? Yeah, everybody's different. You might sometimes say, you know, again, it's, it's how you put it across. So for example, we've been having uh, a young prospect of ours sparring a world champion, helping him prepare for, for his fight. Now, one of the key things for me is I do not want that lad go. He's, he's only had five fights, 19 years old. I do not want him going in there and it look at, when I say it looking like an amateur versus a professional, that would look like this. The amateur doing well for two, three, four rounds and then very quickly fading and the professional taking over. That would probably happen because the amateur tried to start too fast. He's tried to convince himself to convince the opponent, I can do it at this level. Very amateurish. I would not. That would be the worst thing for me. So that that was the way I kept putting it across. What it means is you're not going to win every single moment but in a professional contest over twelve rounds. You know, I've had I've had fighters prepare for fights, but we know that the opponent's desperate to win every moment, every single moment, and that has been their downfall. We have actually game plan for that. He will try to win every moment. We have game plan towards that so you know that was key for me so I didn't specifically mention the word ego but I was pushing the narrative that I do not want this to look like an amateur and a professional I want you to look it's eight rounds I want you to look like a professional that can more than hold his own but I want you to be able to sustain it for over eight rounds so if that means conceding a moment not a problem motivate them to be able to see the issues that matter and find ways through so that we solve those problems together. Thanks, Eric. The master's programs at the Macquarie Business School, designed to empower you, challenge you and transform the way you think. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And there's this theme in your story, which I find very interesting, you, and you've said on multiple times that you believe you have superior skills when it comes to watching fights and breaking them down. I've also yeah. heard you say that you're a very good judge of character. Now, it seems that being able to read the fight or read people is, in fact, one of your key skills, one of your key leadership skills. Where did it come from? 
Um, I think that, again, the ability to, to study the film and analyse and, and watch it, I think that come from just desperately wanting to be the best that I could be when I was playing football, when I was boxing. You know, what can I do? What can I take from this fight? What what can I, why what why are the, you know, the, the, my mindset when I was looking at it then would be, why are they making the decisions that they're making? As opposed to, oh, that was a good shot. I'm going to copy that shot, that punch. Like punches to me, as mad as this may sound, are irrelevant. Um, it's more so, it's the application. Because every every boxer that you come across, every boxer that's, that's competing can throw a jab, a right hand, a left hook, a right uppercut, etc., etc. They can throw all the punches. So clearly that's not what separates the level, is it? Um, it's the decision making it's the application so I would say that, that come from that I would say that reading people judge of character I think that probably come from I probably couldn't put an absolute on where that has come from but I would say that experience lot of you know met lots of different people even when I was young I had an older brother that I used to often hang around with him and his friends or at least try to anyway before he got what we to but uh, yeah I don't know I suppose it, part of it is natural as well I understand that uh, you know I will explain to people the same things that I am seeing when watching a certain scenario in a fight and other people can't, but some people just can't see it. So I understand that, you know, some things are, are a talent as well, so to speak. You're being very kind on your brother. I've heard you say before that he used to beat you up a lot. <laughs> no, he didn't beat me up a lot, but just your normal brothers, you know, your normal uh, younger and older brother, younger brother winding up yeah. the older brother. No, I understand. Ben, you've disrupted the world of boxing with the amount of success you've had at such a young age. But I wanted to ask you, I wanted to flip it around. What's this taught you about the preconceived ideas that shape so much of society today? Yeah, I mean, I think that, no, I didn't box professionally. Um, There's almost an idea that, you know, because somebody boxed professionally or because somebody had success as a fighter to become a world champion, they're going to be a great coach. He's not the case at all, at all. And and that probably annoys and frustrates people that did go on and win world titles and attempting to be coaches and, and things like that. It, you know, they probably don't like to hear that. But that is the reality, you know. One of the best boxing minds that I've come across, never, never ever boxed, never boxed. But I, I, I don't shut off. And I actually think the beauty of this, actually, I think this is probably the first time I'm, I'm saying this. So I was thinking about this the other day. I actually think one of the beauty and one of the key things of, of him being able to be and having the eye that he has actually come from not being in the environment of boxing, not having boxed. Because when he sits down and watch watches a fight or is watching boxing, he has... Blank canvas. He's not been in a boxing environment where he's being told, oh, um, did you watch this last night? 
this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened. Now, often, you hear this from people that have been in gyms their whole life. It's not at all what happened. Not at all. And if you ask them, show me an example of that happening. They can't do it. Or if they did, it was, you know, it's, it's an insignificant factor in the fight. Now, Lee, who I'm talking about, I think that's one of the beauty and one of the secrets behind his success and his approach is that he's, ne- he's never had that. He's always had a blank canvas. I'm going to watch it for what it is. Not someone gave me an idea that this happened. Someone said that this happened. So I'm going to look out for that. And even though you're not consciously doing that, subconsciously, that's what happens. You start looking out for certain things that people have told you happened or, or what they thought happened and, and, and you start looking out for that as opposed to watching with a blank canvas. Or, or for example, just on that point again, sorry about um, people who have boxed. You know, I've trained some of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. I will sometimes talk to them afterwards, more so a big part of my job that I, or my approach to coaching is making them aware and conscious of the things that they are doing or what they should be doing, or what is actually happening, being conscious of it in the ring. I think that helps you become a better fighter. I will sometimes talk to them after the sparring, or, or about a fight that they had, or a scenario of a fight that they had. They have not got a clue what happened. All instinct. All instinct. And what they perceive to have happened is nothing like what actually happened. And I've, uh, you know, a former world champion He's been in here and coached and, you know, I've started laughing before and he'll laugh himself because he knows that terrible coach, absolutely terrible coach. And he's fully aware of that. Um, so I think that, again, talking about preconceived ideas, I think, you know, don't have to have, you know, I, I've boxed and been in and around boxing my whole life. But again, I didn't box professionally. But, don't think where does that conversation I had this conversation with Darren Barker as well former world champion himself where does that end because I oh, boxed professional but he only boxed at this level I oh, boxed professional but he won a British title but did, never never boxed on the world stage I oh, won a world title but he was never in the mega fights so where does that end so because otherwise it would only be people that won world titles and were in absolute mega fights that Oh, he was in in a mega fight, but he lost. Never won on the big stage. Where does that argument end? So, um, I don't think that. I think again, preconceived ideas. Think that that needs to be. You just have to take it for what it is, and, and if somebody knows their boxing, they know their boxing. Ben, I'd like to ask you a question about a time in your life where you had to decide to step forward, despite the risks and uncertainty? So when I was when I took the job on with Tyson, the, uh, the understanding the agreement was that he was going to have four fights, four tune-up fights, before he got back into a big fight. And that was the understanding we both on. Now, at the very start of it, you know, he was still suffering with his mental health. He was like, I'm not going to have four warm-up fights. I'm going to go straight into a big fight. And at the time, it was at the dinner table, I was like, that's not what I signed up for. And he was like, yeah, but you're going to get well paid. And he said, I said, it's not what I signed up for. That is not what I signed up for. So he had two, two comeback fights. 
And then he took this Deontay Wilder fight, and I was against it. I didn't, I didn't want that fight to take place. Not to say that I didn't think he could win, but I thought he was making the fight closer than what it needed to be had he gave himself a little bit more time. Now, I, was, I had this conversation with him, and he basically said to me, I'm doing this fight with or without you. I want you to be there with me. I need you there with me, but I'm, I'm taking this fight either way. And I thought to myself, he, he, you know, I feel like his best chances are with me. So that was a huge risk for me because had he got beat, I knew where the blame would have come straight away, instantly. So that was a big risk. But at the same time, no risk, no reward. And sometimes you have to take these risks and... Yes, it's difficult, it's hard, pressure. Uh, there was a few times, I think I was 20, 24 maybe, 24, 25. And I remember thinking, you know, a few times on my own, thinking, you know, it could be over before it even started if this goes wrong. And with Deontay Wilder, anything can happen at any moment. So, you know, there was a lot of pressure there. But, again, you know, it, that's what brought out the, just as the analogy that I was saying earlier about if I was to run a mile on my own and you was to put some competition next to me, it made me level up. It made Tyson level up. And he put in a great performance. He did for sure. We've all we've all seen that fight, Ben. I can see the fighters coming in behind you, so I might just ask one final question, if I could. And I've I've heard you talk about Mike Tyson, and how, as a boy, mm -hmm. you heard him talking about Castellani, uh, great his great trainer, and thinking that you would like someone to talk about the impact you were having on them one day in the same way. And so I guess to finish, I'd like to ask you, in the distant future when you do retire, and I did read somewhere where you said it'll be 54, which was quite a, quite a, quite a precise age, but when that day does come, what's the legacy that you hope you leave with the fighters and how do you want them to describe that in that moment? The impact that I had and helped them, well, I hope that they talk about the way that I tried to help them just as much within the ring as I did outside of the ring. Um, you know, life itself is difficult. Again, we spoke about how difficult life and, and being an elite athlete is and how taxing that is. But life, it, you know, that that's life itself for anybody. And, and I say that about being an elite athlete. I suppose that's being a high performer a high performer in any walk of life, and not just an elite athlete, to try to maximise your performance in anything that you do is, is very taxing, very difficult. It's a tough lifestyle. And that's without the difficulties that life can spring upon um, people as well. So especially these young athletes, that it is extra difficult for them because you know they start to, start to receive a bit of fame, a bit of acknowledgement, a bit of money. You know, and one of the things that baffles me, I'm saying this because it's often, a, it sounds small, but for a lot of these boxers, they're not from backgrounds with financially educated families. And 
you know, it baffles me how some of these guys, they go on to these, these Olympic squads and GB squads and even coming through school for everyday people, they're not taught about taxes and, and companies and, and finances and, and these kind of things. And it's a lot of stress for these, these young fighters because not having a secure income like your, your average nine-to-five job, that's stressful in itself. So anything can happen to these athletes at any point. You know, the career can be cut short, a loss, injury. They've got to be financially smart as well. So, you know, there's lots of things that come with being a high performer, being an elite athlete, being a professional boxer. And, you know, I try to, as much as, you know, I, I hope, you know, a lot of the time they don't see it because I get in before they get in. I, I leave after they, you know, after they've left and they don't see the extra hours that I put in. But on top of that, I hope that they talk about and understand how much I try to help them outside of the ring as much as I do within the ring because, like I say, life itself is difficult just as, uh, just as boxing and being an elite athlete and a high performer is. And it's been great spending an hour with you today. Thank you so much for carving out the time, your busy schedule. I know you've got that rematch that you're preparing for, but it's been fantastic listening to your take on leadership and I wish you all the best for the rest of the year and your career ahead. Thank you very much, Andrew. Hi, everyone. You've been listening to the great coach, Ben Davison. I hope you got a lot out of Ben's straightforward style and found a few ideas that you can bring to your own dinner table, locker room, or boardroom table for discussion. The key highlights for me were the story he shares about agreeing to train the world champion Tyson Fury, who at the time was unfit and had been suffering mental health challenges. How? You need pressure to perform at your best, and part of his role is finding the right amount for each fighter. How the great coaches are able to sustain a consistently high standard every day. And wanting to leave a legacy of having tried to help people maximize their performance inside and outside of the ring. I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. And just before we go, if you have any feedback, then please let us know. Just like Sam Truloff, who said, Great listen and very insightful from both an athlete's perspective around what kind of coach Gary Kirsten needed to feel like he could succeed and play his best cricket. Get around this podcast. Gosh, thanks, Sam. That's great feedback. We love the interaction with the people around the world who listen. And so if you have any feedback or comments, please let us know. And if they're positive ones, then please let your friends know too. All the details on how you can connect with us are in the show notes or on our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com.